18 miles from where I'm sitting right now, recording the aggressive life. That's right. We're not talking about the passive life. We're not talking about the hope it all works out life. We're not talking about the let's have somebody else make my life work life. It's called the aggressive life. It's called the let me take control of my own life and let me stop making excuses and push to something new. Well, 18 years from 18 miles from where I am right now, there's this little place called Boone County High School in Florence, Kentucky. A few years back, it was home to ESPN's number one rated high school football player in the country. But the hype doesn't mean success. How many athletes can you think of that were projected for greatness yet failed to materialize? For this, this young man, that was not the case. He moved to the University of Alabama, and he promptly became the third-string running back, but he didn't stay there long. While the country watched on ESPN primetime, he hit the field as number 10 Alabama took on number 11 LSU, and that would actually dictate a new award that's been given out in the 2018 and 2019 season. The award is called the Sean Alexander Freshman Player of the Year Award. Yes, we have Sean Alexander with us today. As a freshman, this guy touched the football, went 17 yards for a touchdown the first time. Second time, he touches the ball, 73 yards for a rushing touchdown. He ended the night with four touchdowns and 291 rushing yards, a record that still stands today at the University of Alabama. He was a college football freshman player of the year, and that now bears his name. From there, he's drafted the Seattle Seahawks. His historic NFL career lasted eight seasons. He's a three-time pro bowler. He was named the 2005 NFL MVP when he carried Seattle the first ever Super Bowl appearance. He got, I, mean, I just got all these things. I go, blah, 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 blah. Let me say, if you've been a football fan for any length of time, you know Sean Alexander. And he would just strike fear into all of the opponents. Dominated the NFL for a long time. Welcome to the aggressive life, Sean Alexander. <laughs> that's good, man. That's good. <laughs> that was going for a long. Was it like, was going for a long time. I, I had to stuff. cut it off. Enough nice <laughs> things to say about you. No, no, no more. That was that was enough. Actually, there's a lot of nice things to say about you. I, I'll tell you another one. Maybe we'll start off with this. I'm looking. Sean and I are looking at each other via Zoom right now, so we can see each other visually. And I was curious before we kind of tuned in what you look like, and and you look good. And I. I I'm I'm curious, why is it that some NFL players are dominant physical specimens, but as soon as they get out of the league, it's like, boom, they like, I don't know, they just let themselves go physically. You absolutely have not had that happen. You're still doing something to keep yourself in shape. Well, what, what, what differentiates an NFL player who can maintain their physical fitness after their career? You know, some guys are um, people that need coaching to keep them, keep that fire going. And so um, that's just the makeup of a person. Some guys are like, hey, I'm not going to run every day to become a great athlete unless some coach is on me grinding me. And then there's some guys that are like, you know what? The coach doesn't have to tell me to go be great. I'm going to grind. And so that's the same way it is. Um, at the dinner table, there's some guys that be like, hey, you know, you can't eat that extra that extra piece of pie, you know. <laughs> so so some guys are like that. But that's the same way it is spiritually. It's the way it is with school. There's some guys that, you know, I was just one of those people. I didn't like having too many tutors. I didn't like having old books. I didn't like anybody to uh, <laughs> to, to give me notes. They could have been crazy, you know. <laughs> so I, I wanted to. I went to go and grind and, and go see what, what God had for me. And I'm still that way. So I, me being in shape was a little bit easier than some other people, but it's, it's usually the personality of that guy. Like if they need a coach to help them get over the edge, um, then they probably need somebody to still be there to coach them over the dinner table. So is that <laughs> like, would you call that being a, is it being a self-starter then? Or is it, what is I it? I think it's more disciplined than self-starter, you know, um, you know, there's some people that have great discipline. They look great, like great shape, but they they couldn't start a company or they couldn't lead people to go do anything. So, so I think that when it comes to just being in shape, it's really discipline. You know, I mean, it's that it's that that fork anointing. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> right. I mean, this isn't a, this isn't a workout podcast, but I, but I am I'm always stunned by how folks could be the creme de la creme in the athletic world in our country 
and then when they're not paid, they just go downhill. Or or NFL coaches, mm-hmm. for that matter. Like I don't I don't get how you could be in a physical career and you're 150 pounds overweight. I don't I don't understand that. And you're gonna have cameras on you and everything. I, I I don't know. I don't get it. So I was keep trying to find some answer to that, and it's hard to find. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of it is the, the schedule. I'm mean, I'm in this journey right now, even for my own stuff, that they don't value their own health well, whether it's mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or physically. And so health is not a priority to them. And and when you don't, then you you gain weight. So, you know, I I've over these last year, I've really been very intentional about where are my priorities, you know, God, my own health, which used to be fourth, then it's my wife, then it's my kids. And one of my mentors said to me, Well, Sean, how can you treat your wife well? How can you treat your kids well if you're not healthy? Your health is a good thing. And so I moved that up to take that as a priority. So if I needed to read a book and grow and and my wisdom on business or management or how to communicate, I'll spend some time doing that. If I need to go take a nap, I'll spend some time doing that. If I need to go exercise, I'll spend some time doing that only so that I can be what God needs me to be um, for everybody else, for my wife, for my kids, for my, you know, stewardship is number five for me. Um, And then it's ministry which is six and then seven is business or for most people jobs, you know what I mean? And then eight is I call it other people stuff, which is friends and family and other people's ideas. And whenever I'm writing out my plans or my schedules for the week or for the month, if I see too many eights on the board, too many sevens, even job, if I see it controlling too much, then uh, I, I will shift things around to make sure that I've, I've got good priorities. So you're actually incredibly anal then. <laughs> I really ain't. I am probably the most um, loosest person, but I, I I read a book called Boundaries maybe like four years ago, and it like set me free because no one could ever get me to, I, we, we would start this call like an hour late because I would have been doing something with someone else. And if I didn't have that structure, I would have been, I would have missed it. I just been like, well, you get it. You know, I was probably praying for somebody, you know, uh, so I needed to, I needed to have some boundaries. You have so eight I, categories though. You got, you anyway, You have eight categories and you look at your schedule and identify, dude, you're anal. Sorry, you're anal. I don't have any eight categories. Not only that, I just learned that I'm not even a top eight. I'm actually, what, I'm ninth? I'm ninth on the list? Like loser who has a podcast. So you're spending time with me. I appreciate it today. Well, you know what? You you got the right connections. That's what it is. You know? <laughs> that's that's a whole nother ministry. You know what I mean? It's who you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, Sean is coming to us via uh, somebody who uh, works on our my day job staff, Crossroads, and his sister, Tierra. Who, uh, who I know is Tierra Tequila. So Tierra, not because she drinks tequila, but maybe she does. I just kind of like the sound of a Tierra Tequila. So anyway, Tierra set us up. I'm glad she did. She, you, you got a good sister there. I do, I do. My family is uh, uniquely different. You know, my dad had nine kids from four different women. And Tierra, I am the baby boy. And then my dad uh, met Tierra's mom. So Tierra and Sierra, you know, she's a twin, right? You didn't know that. Oh, of course I knew that. Oh, and I, <laughs> and I celebrate their birthday every year on the day of my personal twin Yeah, that, yeah, right. The ninety eighth of fifth of something. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah, so um, so yeah, so because of um, because of our family being so uniquely different, everybody had a way of of growing and and figuring out who they are in life. It was a little bit different, but uh, oh, because of COVID, it. Uh, it caused my family, my siblings, all of us to start getting on a phone call and get on a Zoom call. And it was one of the greatest things that happened through COVID is because it pulled us all closer together than ever before. And uh, and 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 now you get the fruits of that. That is good. So, so Tequila <laughs> shares your mom and dad or just your dad with you? Tierra, just my dad. No, it's Tequila. Tierra Tequila. <laughs> <laughs> this that's one of my love languages. One of my love languages is annoying people. So I'm not even annoying you. I'm trying to annoy Tierra, who's listening to me right now. So want you share the dad, your dad, and I actually wanted to get into this. This is, I think this is probably part of what's. I'm not. Is it part of what's driving you? You've got some serious pain back in your life, right? This is a very complicated family that sounds, uh, by today's standards, kind of cute, you know. But there had to be pain back there at 11 years old when your parents are divorced. 
was there? Has that affected you in your drive? What's what's that done for you or to you? Well, you know, I feel like I was chosen by God at a young age because I I really like most people say, oh, I got saved at a young kid at a camp and I raised my hand. And uh, I was having dreams and visions at 10 years old. So I was uniquely set apart. And um, and so I'm, I'm God was like really speaking to me and moved me to to be with him and to take on identity with him that was um, fairly different. And uh, so when my dad left, um, there's the wrestle that most people have, which is who can you really trust? But I also had this understanding that my dad was not a believer. Um, and so there was a little bit of grace for that. The wound that most people have that are famous at a young age that have gained, gained wealth from, from without having the hard work behind it or that lose a parent is they become lonely. In other words, they don't really know when to juggle with, am I known? Do I want to know you? Do I want to allow myself to be known by you? And so, yeah, so there was definitely battles of that where I could have 150 relationships with people. This is why I need structure. I can have 150 relationships and everyone would say, Sean's my best friend. Oh man, I love that guy the, mo- the most. And reality is it's, it's only, um, you know, ankle deep. And so, so I had to, um, check my own self with the Lord and check my own self about like, well, man, if I only want to be shallow with people, am I going to be shallow with you? And, uh, and that was a great, great challenge. And it's really, uh, really good. But I think that this is one of the cool things about sports. You can't hide what's the cameras on either. You yeah. can play or you can't play. Yeah. Uh, I think when it comes to faith, um, you can actually hide and trick your own self to believe in you're something that you're not. And so, uh, so, my dad and and how he lived and my siblings and how uniquely awesome we are. <laughs> I would not I would not want that for anybody else. But um, it uh, it allows you to actually take ownership of where you are and uh, and move in the right place. This isn't a theology podcast, and we we rarely dig into you know kind of theological concepts that Christians sometimes debate. But you just mentioned a, like a heavy-duty word might be worth us talking about. You said you felt chosen. Mm-hmm. You felt chosen. Boy, that's not that's not a word we use a lot. But I really, I really love that word. One because it's it's in the Bible a lot, and secondly because as an adopted kid, you know I was I was chosen into my family. Um, it wasn't like. I chose it. My family chose me when I was adopted, and I, I really do think that there is a there is a, a spiritual gateway that until you feel like God chose you, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking here about well, maybe we can talk about. It. I'm not talking about predestination of God predestining someone to go to heaven or someone go to hell. There's all different kinds of theological variances there, but I'm just just thinking it's chosen. I, I I don't know if it's possible. For you to have a life that has power, if you don't feel at your core that God chose you, that He wants you, and there's something for you, build on that more. You agree? Disagree? Yeah, I was actually just reading this morning. You know, Paul was talking to Galatia, and he was saying, like, "Yeah, hey, before you know, before I thought I was doing everything because of God. I was zealous. I was killing cats. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> they were they were talking about this Jesus guy. He said, but." God's grace came and got me. He said, before I was even born, God knew who I was, and he chose me to come out there and and have such a strong word that I could preach it to the people that don't even know me, the hoods, the the hoodlums, the, mm-hmm. the Gentiles, you know? So he was chosen. And so it doesn't mean that he has to accept it. He just understands that that's who he was and that this is the person he was, that same dude that was passionate enough to to kill anybody that would talk about Jesus being Saul is the same dude that was passionate enough to tell everybody, even if he had to die being Paul. So he was now, he was now understanding like who he was created to be was that same dude. But what he was chosen to do was, was, was proclaim the name of Jesus. And so for me, like, that's how it was for me. Like if I, if I you know, I, I love the fact that you say I'm anal, no one would say that about me. And and the thing is, the other thing is that no one would say that I was a person that was actually um, driven by being healthy. <laughs> I am the I am the youngest of of the brothers. I'm the fifth boy, and them and you count my closest three best friends. I would be the one that would be watching TV, eating Doritos. So genetically, a gift, right? You know what I mean? But but um, 
but understanding that when you're chosen and there's like this, this thing that that's inside of you, then you can't help but go out there and figure out how to be the best at football or how to be the best husband or father, because you know that you're going to have kids that are going to do something that's, that's set apart and you can't really fully explain it. You just know that you're the one that's supposed to go get it done. And so, so like, that's, that would be how I am. I'm more thinking about who God's made me to be and the assignment he has me on than it actually making sense to anybody else. And most people would actually see that and be like, oh man, he's so driven. I'm like, ah, okay, I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But you, you had to have, or did you have with your tumultuous family upbringing, that not just tumultuous to have that many brothers and sisters from different mixes of DNA pools and people in and out of the house that, that that had to be incredibly stressful but did you did you feel that you were chosen by God in those circumstances or did you feel chosen looking back when you were out of those circumstances well you know the the truth is is I didn't really have like a close relationship with none of the other seven siblings you know so um there was phone calls here and there until we got until I got to college, you know, that's when we stirred up. And then when I got married was the first time that all nine of us were together. And that was my that was at my wedding in Florence, Kentucky. Uh, and that's where the, you know, the twins, you know, and and the, and the older siblings, they all got together. Matter of fact, they didn't even all know each other. They all laugh about it because they're like, man, who's all this? Who are all these people sitting in the sibling section? I was the only <laughs> one that knew that there was nine of us, you know, and so, and so, um, so it wasn't really uniquely different, like, um, a big mixed family. It was really a divorced mother and my older brother, Duran. So it was just us two living in Florence, Kentucky, going to Boone County high school. Um, you know, um, um, my mother's a, a woman of great faith. She won them, one them cussing saints, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, but I saw her give her last dime to help somebody else pay rent and seeing our power go out like a week later until mm-hmm. her bills came in, our checks came in from, from her job. And so that's what I remember was, was having that kind of a mother around and knowing that, you, you love people well enough, it'll shift the environment. And so those are the couple of things that I remember about her was she didn't take no mess. Can no one take no mess? And, and you love people well. What a powerful life moment. Yeah, we, we, don't, we don't remember people for what they've bought, right? We remember people for what they've given. Mm-hmm. You seeing your mom do that, that's, that's intense. Hey, let's take a quick break here for a couple things. One... How about doing a brother a solid? Tell people you listen to this and you like it. How about leaving me a review and rating? Seriously, guys, it would be and, and ladies, it would be really helpful if you gave us a review because it would encourage more people to get in touch with the podcast. The more people who are getting aggressive, the better all of our lives are going to be because the better the world is going to do. So do that right now, please. Also, I've had a new devotional out. It's called Move. It's it self-published, and a traditional publisher has picked it up. It's going to have a nationwide release Tuesday, May 18th. We've added 22% new content to this devotional. So even if you had the original, there's new stuff in there. We've got a week's worth of special podcast content planned to celebrate the release. And I'm excited about this book and this content because these are the things that guys wrestle with and need to hear from. So you can pre-order your copy on Amazon now and you'll be ready for May 18th. So back to the show. So you have this amazing breakout freshman season that the premier freshman award is now named after you. Sophomore season doesn't go that well. Tell us what happens your sophomore year. Yeah, goodness. It must have been the second or third game of the season. I had a midfoot sprain. And uh, and so, well, first of all, the sophomore year starts where our head coach um, retires, which was Gene Stallings, and he's iconic Alabama coaching legend. And Mike Dubos becomes the coach. And um, and we were just we were just uh, it was a different group. Like so he he was a good coach, but he wasn't as iconic, you know, as Gene Stallings. And his and the offensive coordinator was Bruce Arians, who is now the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that was my offensive coordinator my sophomore year. And um, 
and I had a midfoot sprain, um, which is basically just basically dislocate your foot, but it's not so bad that you can kind of see it. So it hurt bad, but no one could tell what it was. And so it was just brutal because that whole year I was just kind of limping around. So I didn't really play a lot. I had to do a lot of treatment. And then one of my closest friends, uh, his dad was a chiropractor. He came and just grabbed on my foot and pulled, popped it back in place. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Really? Wow. <laughs> Why do we not have chiropractors around us? You wow. Know? But that year was tough because um, so many people, you'd hear the chatters of people. And, you know, this guy uh, was that freshman year, just a fluky year. Is he really not that good? I mean, do they really play good football in Kentucky? You know, and um, did he, does he really deserve to be at Alabama? You know, you know, and it was just a lot of, a lot of negative chatter that I had to get some uh, thick skin. I had to uh, mature up a little bit. I had to learn how to persevere. Um, it was really, really good for me. Um, so you had, a, you had a lot of intense coaches you work for then you doing some name dropping. Did you, was uh, Nick Satan there when you? I mean, Nick Saban was he your coach while you were there? No, no, no. <laughs> Nick, uh, Nick was at uh, Michigan State. Uh, so you you have a, a successful college career, but then you could have gone to the draft early, but you chose not to. Why would you choose not to? You know, I uh, honestly, I think a lot of that's just business decisions. You know, what I mean, they they said if I would have left. After my junior year, I would have went to the end. I would have probably went at the end of the first, maybe the second. Dollar amount was probably about, you know, somewhere around a five, six million dollars. If I go, I could get insurance for five or six million dollars and come back for my senior year. So that was financially. I knew I was really close. They to sell break. insurance for that. You you go and you buy hundred percent. Fast. How much does a five to six million dollar insurance policy cost? I don't know now, but you know, but you know, you get the. Uh, those uh those insurance companies and they'll say, hey, you know, this guy is pretty guaranteed that he's going to go to the pros. He will pay it all right in April with the draft. He'll pay it all, you know, by May of the next year. And they do it. Oh, so you don't have to pay them then. You pay no. when, yeah, fascinating. Okay. No, it, it's no, it's, it's a, it's a business, you know, it's a business that you like, you, you understand all that at a young age. And then on the, on the mental side, I've always thought big picture. And I knew if I broke, if I knew I had a thousand something yards and, and, and maybe I think it was like 10 or 11 more touchdowns, I'd be Alabama's all time leading rusher, leading points guy, leading touchdowns. And I just thought, man, that is a legacy that, um, would be really, really good to have. And so, so I just thought financially I could be taken care of and legacy wise, this would be a good, a good thing to to have on my, on my mark. So it wasn't until these last couple of years where, where guys even got to my numbers. And so that's the Derrick Henry's and all of them. Now uh, those guys have, have finally caught up to my stuff, you know? So you still have those records though at Alabama? No. So Derek has one, I think Mark Ingram or Trent Richardson, they might have another. So I think I'm like second or third in all of them, except the, the most yards in one game. But then also, I, I don't know, I could still have them, but we didn't count rushing yards in, in bowl games, and they do now. So whatever, I'm behind them, I, I would pass them with bowl cheaters. games. Cheaters. Those <laughs> cheaters. They're always making everything easier for the people who are younger. All these younger yeah. snowflakes. Oh, let's make it easier on you, and let's give your yards in bowl games, blah, 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 where the real manly men like Sean Alexander, no, they ground it out outside of the spotlight. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It could be just me being competitive and want to still say I'm better than anybody. <laughs> you know, you mentioned you mentioned business decisions. You mentioned that a number of times. What's your business right now? Uh, I have a couple of different things I'm involved with. You know, I I love real estate, so I have some uh, some real estate things that I'm involved with, and I'm also a consultant. I help a lot of players put themselves in positions to be CEOs of their own life. Mm. And then also I help uh, consult uh, a, a big group of families that are philanthropic leaders, businessmen and women all over the country. I help them in a sense, help them spend their money on what's really good, you know, and, and things that are involved in poverty are the effects of poverty. And so, so it's been really, really uh, fun meeting some of these families. It's about 700 families now. And, uh, and, and it's, it's fun to see how we can impact the world for good. So consult with the rest of us on how we can be the CEO of our own life. I, I love that, that verbiage. Yeah. Well, a lot of it is, is, you know, like I told you is, is getting your priorities straight 
And then um, what I always say is try to handle the five F's, handle fame, like your real identity, um, handling your family, the, the wife, kids, et cetera, et cetera, how to handle your friendships. That's the ecosystem. It's the people in your life, how to handle your finances. Where do you, what is some real goal setting? And then how to handle your future, which is how do we make the plans for where you want to be five years from now, 20 years from now, when your time is up, where where do you want everything to be? And then we make plans appropriately for that. Are there any common outages that you see that people have with those five Fs? One that's more difficult to do than the other? You know, um, in the sports world, it seems like the hardest thing is how to manage your family and your closest friends because they might not fit with the future plans. I think with the successful business world, um, for them, the hardest thing is with their kids. It's how do, how do they how do they train up their kids to to carry the torch or um, to continue to work hard and and figuring out who they're supposed to be. And so those are the two things I would say. If you're, you know, new money is always trying to figure out how to massage this old that helped you get there. And if it's and if it's old money, it's how do you pass it on? Well, well, most people aren't wanting to train up their kids because that's very politically incorrect. They're not dogs, they're not horses. Just just let a kid discover who he who he's naturally meant to be. Let a kid figure it out on its own. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's 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 madness. It's it's utterly ridiculous how we keep expecting adult behaviors from somebody who's not equipped to be an adult behavior. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand why it is that we're so afraid of parenting somebody. I don't understand why we think that a 13-year-old has any clue about life. I don't know why it is we think that we can't lead the very people that we gave life to. It's just odd to me, and we're seeing our kids suffer as a result of it. I would ask the question, do you really even care for someone if you don't give them instructions? I mean, think about it. If I didn't know that if I walked down this street or went into this neighborhood that it would be bad for me, and you didn't tell me and you knew, I'd be like, wow, do you really even care for me? Yeah. So that's going to be the newest thing that's going to happen 10 years from now. They're, you're going to have a generation of people saying, well, I don't really have anybody care for me. And they're going to be like, why would you say that? We, we gave you a new car. We gave You see more people trying to get to make sure the kid has a car at 16 than actual instructions on how to live or what guy to date or what girl to date. You know, right. it's sad. If you, if you gave me a car at 16, Oh my goodness. My life would not be good and no one else's life in my community would be good either. That would not be that would not be well. I have a we had a guy on, Sean, man, a year ago or so, we had a we had a cowboy on. He uh, rode in the professional rodeo circuit and then he was a um chaplain for the uh, Bull Riders Association. And I was with him a couple months ago out in his place in I- Idaho. And he has this, he has this ministry where he, he actually takes a, a horse, a wild horse, and he's, he's a real legitimate horse whisperer. He mm-hmm. will break a horse in an hour that other people would take two weeks to do. It really is an unusual, really odd spiritual thing as he was mm-hmm. describing it to me. And he's, but he's just talking about horses. He said that something I'd never heard before. He said, a, a horse that's been broken is stronger than a horse that has not been broken. Mm-hmm. A horse that's been broken is faster than a horse that is not broken. In fact, one guy on a horse can round up an entire wild uh, wild horses out in the middle of nowhere. They have wild horses in Kentucky. One guy, because that horse can run faster with a rider on it than actually wild horse himself. A, ho- a broken horse lives longer and is healthier. And yet we talk with our kids like, oh, I don't want to break my kid. I don't want to break their spirit. You can't break their spirit. All you can do is harness them. You need to lead them. And yet that is seems, seems to be so ridiculous to say today. I'm glad I'm with somebody who understands it. Yeah, yeah, no. I've got a, I've got my youngest son. He's, he's that, you know what I mean? If you don't, if you don't point him, he just turned six yesterday, uh, Sunday. Yeah. And if you don't point him in the right direction, he's going to be a terror to everybody, but he's passionate. He's focused. He's fiery. He gets around people and he makes everybody feel like they're the greatest person in their life. And everybody's like, man, this kid's awesome. I'm like, yeah, you know what? We have to start with him now because unsaved 14 year old, this young man 
would be a tear to the whole community and every girl. Right. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? That's right. Like, no, but we're but we see that in him and we're not trying to break him, but we're like, no, we gotta we gotta turn this into something that would that's gonna be awesome for the kingdom of the Lord. Well, there is an awesome responsibility for those of us who have boys in our family. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you have a boy, it's like you uh it's like you have a Rottweiler versus a Chihuahua. I mean, gir right. girls can do damage, but they can't do, and they will not do damage to the same degree that a, that a, that a little boy will. I mean, you've got you you've got to train and raise them up, and you got you got ten kids, ten. How many boys? How many girls? So living, we have had eight girls and three boys. You know, we lost one uh, three years ago. And so, so yeah, so we have seven girls and three boys in the house. And uh, we are actually uh, pregnant with baby number 12 uh, now. And so it'll be another girl. So we will have had, by the end of July, we'll have had nine girls um, uh, and three boys. All right. You keep saying things that I want to jump in and cut you off on. And then you go to say something else that makes me forget what I was just going to say before. So <laughs> uh, you're, you're a deep man. Like, first of all, 12 kids, 12 kids. What? What? Are, what 12 kids. <laughs> Uh, 12, 12 kids. They have this thing called birth control, you know, but uh, we, we'll get 12 kids. But you just said something. To, uh, I, I don't want to brought gloss over. You said you lost one. No, I didn't know that you lost one. What what happened? Yeah, you know, we we, we lost uh, our ninth child. It was a girl to SIDS. And, uh, mm -hmm. and we, you know, to this day, like, they're not really sure what it is. We believe that she might have of spit up and then choked on it, which sounds very violent. Um, but, but she swallowed, she swallowed that, uh, she swallowed whatever she was spitting up. Um, and, uh, yeah, sitting in the crib, sitting, uh, like she always does. We just came up there and she was dead. Uh, Paramedics came in and, you know, we jumped in that truck and we prayed and cried out for the Lord all the way to the hospital. And, uh, she did not come back to life. And it's, uh, it's one of the most gut-wrenching things to do when you've been able to, you know, as we say, jump over giants, you know, and uh, and you've seen people's lives get saved from uh, from conversations and you've seen people that were wounded get healed. Um, and then you have a daughter that dies in her sleep. And so she was 70 days old and uh, was was healthy and and uh, and passed. And there was no sicknesses to it at all. And so. So, yeah, so we actually started the Torah Glory Joy, that was her name, uh, Memorial Fund. And we tried to connect with families of anybody that lost a, a, a daughter because it is it is a rough thing to lose a child. You know, and I remember having to answer to all my kids. Well, man, what do, what do you do when you lose a child? And I said, well, you really don't have plans to lose someone that you're supposed to die before. And uh, and so um but I was really thankful for this season, that season in my life, because I had so many family members and friends just come in and serve. You know, they just came in and had a cousin that flew out from California and just was at the house. He got a stayed in his own uh, bed and breakfast and would show up at the house at six o'clock in the morning, sitting in the car. If I needed to go drive around and take care of funeral arrangements, he did it. If I needed to sit in the car and just cry, he was there. Um they allowed me and my wife and our kids to mourn correctly. You know, uh, one of my buddies in New York is a Jewish guy. He uh, he sent me a book about how to mourn correctly, the three-day, the the week, the month, the three months, the year. And uh, I believe a lot of people never really get to do that well. And so what happens is, is they kind of, they kind of miss um, – taking it all the way to the depths of their heart, the pain that they're in so that Jesus can meet them there. And so what happens is if they need to go all the way down to 10 feet, they stop at five. And so anytime anybody touches six, seven, eight, or nine, um, they want to react in a way that's unhealthy. Um, but when you go all the way to 10, even though it's a scary, dark place, Jesus is there waiting on us. And so, and so uh, I've been able to help people and families uh, go to that, to that, to that depth level of the pain so that they can actually come back out and be who they've been created to be. That's that's strong. I in my in my job, I've been around more than my fair share of painful, awful incidences with with families and with kids. Just some awful funerals I'm 
I've officiated at. And, I, and I've seen some of those parents years and la- years and years later. But as I look at you, I mean, you you have a face right now that's that's not torn up and twisted recounting that like other families I talk to um, have. And mm-hmm. it's I'm sure it's not because you're a less sensitive person or a less emotional person or something like that. You, you're saying it's because you went through a grieving process that maybe others aren't up for going through. Yeah, I think I think just uh, American culture, we we just we fast food everything. You know, I mean, we make everything so fast that you know. I remember the last young man I talked to, him and his wife, they lost their first child. They were going to the hospital. They thought to deliver, and it was born, stillborn. You know. Mm. And uh, I said, hey, have you given yourself enough time? I said, you know, he said, man, it's been really good. The church has brought some food by and this and that. And the work is that. And I said, yeah, how many days you get off? He goes, well, I think everybody just said the 30th. I said, oh, so they give you 30 days. (laughs) He's like, yeah. And he kind of laughed. I was like, if you need more, take more. You know, and and, and so that's that's the issue is it's like, hey, like society says, yep, 15 days, I was like, man, like I said, we just don't know, but everything was a great process. When people get married, it'd be a month celebration, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. without without being so vulgar, but you'd see, you know, we'd see you go off into the tent, you'd come back out, we're still partying, you know, hey, go back in a second <laughs> time, another day, you come back out, we're still partying. It'd be a month celebration. So then when it's Sam's, when it's time to have a, a rocky situation with the husband and wife, you're like, we partied with y'all coming together for a month. We saw you go in the tent, out the tent, in the tent, out the tent. We know it's you. In the tent, back again, back out the tent. You know, this was how we celebrated marriage back in the day. This is how it's supposed to be. This is a big family celebration that and we're all together forever till death. And then the same thing with, with funerals. Like, you know, when somebody would die, they'd say, man, this person's mourning. Hey, let's all build our house, our lives around this person until that person's ready to come back. And that's that's where you, you talk about crying yourself out. You're just like, I'm out of tears. I'm okay, God, I'm I'm done crying about this. Where do you want to happen next? Well, if people don't, every time you touch it again, you have to go back to it. There's just many things that we don't do well. It's because we fast food everything. Uh, we just do everything too quick. Dude, you're just dropping truth bombs on us left and right. This is this is fantastic, and I mean your 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 life actually embodies the name of this podcast, the the aggressive life. You've talked about being a self starter and being aggressive in terms of your training. You've been aggressive in terms of your schedule, having the eight categories of people and taking control of your schedule, whether or t- versus have somebody else taking control of it. You're aggressive and you're grieving. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. We. We just want the pain to go away and we think it can go away by just looking at Netflix or shaking our fist at God and asking questions that we're not up for hanging in to hear the answers, but you are, you are aggressive in the healing and grieving process with your daughter. I, man, that's, that's really good. Uh, you're obviously a man of faith. You just, you, you keep bringing faith and Jesus into every question because he's in and through your life. How do you, how do you look at faith and aggression being together, or whatever your choice word is? Because many of us just think that faith is believing unrealistic things that science can't back up. That's that's not <laughs> faith, right? No. How, well, what's your take on that? How, how is aggression with your? Faith? I would say this: um, if I took out the word aggression, I'm gonna even make you even more scared. I would say that we make Ooh. so many words negative that ain't negative. Like the word angry. Angry is not a negative word. It just means passionate, zealous. A person that was zealous about their faith, you could be like, man, I am angry to get this point across. You're just passionate about it. So if we take the word angry and stop being so scared of it, then we can actually know that this is just a word that means some intensity, right? And so people would used to come to me and say, hey, Sean, you're always smiling. You're enjoying life. I used to play football so angry. How do you play football and not be angry, not be like mad at somebody wanting to cuss somebody out or kill them? I'm like, don't get it wrong. I want to embarrass you when I'm on that field. And I want you to, I, you know, and and in an unhealthy, I'm gonna give you a little, little tip. <laughs> I said, what is what is the most craziest thing that you've ever said to somebody on a football field? Um I'm, I got. I made this run and guy tackled me, and I made another run and guy tackled me, and I kind of got up and I kind of, I stood up. He was trying to stand over top of me, so I stood up to kind of make him fall, 
And I kind of took my hand out, shook it, and I said, come on, man. You know your family's here to watch me play. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to take the soul out of people. You know what I mean? I want them to be like, man, like, I am really nothing except what Sean wants me to be on this field. And I'd come into games wanting to – I'd want to make the other team wish that I was their running back. And I'd, and at the end of the game, I'd want them to be like, man, you know, and there's still today, you know, I live, I live outside of DC and some of my buddies, they'd be like, man, we remember when the Seahawks used to come into Washington and play and, you know, they said, we was talking about you getting ready for the game and a guy from college who played, he went to Auburn, you know, one of our rival schools and he screamed, ah, I can't stand this guy. He said, he said, and, but he was, he was my teammate at, at Alabama. He said, I knew we was in trouble already. I said, yeah. I said, I want to be aggressive and very intentional about everything that I'm doing on that field. And part of it is making you wish that you was not playing against me. That is my posture. I think that you have to be very intentional as an aggressive. You got to be very angry for what you want to get done. Um, And I could smile at you the whole time, shake hands, love you, um, wish that you did well but whip the taste out your mouth the entire game. And that's, that's the posture that I have. And it's, I'm unashamed about it. And I actually try to teach that to everybody I've mentored, everybody on the field, off the field, you know, let's not grab titles that we don't really want. If you want to be a believer, let's go be a believer and be intentional about it. If you want to be a good football player, let's go be a good football player and be intentional about it and be very, very aggressive with it. Whip the taste out your mouth. (laughs) That is good, man. That is good. I think that's a problem with people of people of faith, people who align themselves with Christianity. We're, you know, we're into our platitudes and we're into our kumbaya circles and we're we're into our morality, but we're we're not pushing on anything. We're not taking anything personally. We're not yeah. we're not wanting to win. Do you, do you want to win? You know, and, and I right. find people are like that. No, no, I shouldn't want to win because Jesus yeah. lost, didn't he? Well, he he lost one one bloody Friday. He lost that day, but he but lost he? that day on a cross, so he would win two days later. Yeah, but he didn't even lose. He's still playing the game. Okay, but that's he like, that's like that's like saying, "Hey, I'm gonna run the ball. I'm gonna run this dive play. That's only gonna get me one yard." Knowing that we need fifty, so the next play I can fake it to the running back and throw a deep post. That's all he did. Okay. Did he lose? No, he was running a play. Okay. Yes, but he was nailed to a cross and he couldn't move. I mean, that's. So what? <laughs> who's, scared, who's scared about? Who's scared about a cross? That's a play. I am. I'm scared about a cross. You're not stop scared being, about a cross. No. Stop oh, being come scared. on! That's oh, stop being, Stop being Captain Manly. Come on. No, no, no. I'm just telling you. That's part of like, so that's just part of the play. Like at the end of the day, like if you had to yeah. die for a cause that you believed in, wouldn't you do it? Right. I mean, I can, I can, I get really sober about that. I'm like, well, hey, if God's plan was, Sean, you lose a daughter, but it's part of my plan. Would I say yes? I'm like, well, God, right. I've mourned through it, but I get it. It's part of the plan. Let's, well, let's go do it. You know? So to me, like, that's all a part of it. Like if we're going to be um, soft about, parenting, if we're going to be soft about that, and then we're going to be soft about going to a cross, we'll be soft about that. We'll be soft about everything. And then we'll be like, well, man, I was going to be tough over here. No, either we're all in about the plan and all in about it all, or we're not. Like eventually, like you're right. saying like, okay, I'm, I might be weaker. I might not be as good at this part. Or this might be a weak spot, but I'm not going to be soft about it. Yeah, It's really funny. We talk about schedules. If you're like, hey, Sean, can you, can you, can you put a good schedule together? I'm like, hmm. I'm not the one that would actually do that with her. But I'm going to look you in the eye and say, hey, look, if I'm late, just know we need to put some people around me to give me a beer, be there on time. Yeah. We're not going to be soft about it. Like I, I, I tell young men, I don't know who listens to, I don't know who your audience is to, but I rarely have young men that stumble with women. Either they're going to do it or they're not going to do it. And I'm like, yeah, because that's not what we are. We're not going, oh, and then, I, then accidentally, then what happened? Then she gave me a kiss on the cheek. No, we're going we're, we're nipping that in the bud real quick. Did you or did you not want to? Okay, so then you took steps to do it. Okay, now here's the question in your faith. Is that who you want to be? Let's make a decision. Now, what happens is, is off of that, now people can take ownership of everything that they do. If they win, they win. If they lose, they lose. But we're not going to um, be soft about it. We're, right. gonna, we're actually going to make a plan and we can go about that plan. 
Sean, let's uh, start wrapping this up right now. This is great. I could go another two hours with you. I, I feel connection with you. You're a good dude, man. This has been this has been great, but we got limited time. But we got to do the lightning round. This is a lightning round. This is the time where I give you topic, and you 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 spit it out in one to two sentences. Can you do it, Sean? Are you up? Are you fast enough for the lightning round? I guess we'll find out. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm quick. All right, here we go. Current NFL player you're most impressed with? Gosh, current. Uh, I will be impressed with Kenneth Gainswell because he's the running back that um, that came from Memphis. They won my my freshman player of the year award. He'll be drafted this year, so he'll be he'll be the one I want to see in the pros. Don't even want to give any nice shout outs to anybody who's currently in the, in the NFL. So this be a time you can make nice and make someone feel good about themselves playing for the Bears or wherever they are. But that's all right. Yeah, well, you know, I know all those guys. So if I say one, I got to rest all the other. <laughs> there you go. All right. Number two, NFL legend you most admire? Uh, Emmitt Smith, Pony Dorsett, uh, Marcus Allen. I, I'm, I'm, I match my game off of those three guys. So Okay. Every good running back must have? Fight. You know, it's willing to just, you know, punch, go a little bit harder, take the will out of somebody. Speed, strength, vision, they can all be interchanged. Like some guys are a little bit bigger, so they have a little more strength. Some guys are a little bit smaller, they have a little more speed. Vision's a must. But I'm going to put the pause on the, on the lightning round because I just thought something I, I needed to ask you before. Um, there's a lot of talk that running back is almost like a utility player um, that, you know— Guys who are fast and take a pounding, you can get those dudes and chew them up in a few years, and there will always be another one where you're hard to find a tackle on the blind side, or it's hard to find a rushing, or you know, a, a linebacker who can get sacks. That you know, this this era of the people you mentioned, the you know, the Jim Browns, the the Tony Dor- Dorsets. I'm from Pittsburgh. His real name is Dorset. He changed to Dorset later. You know, the the other uh, the this era of those guys is over. These folks are interchangeable parts now. Agree or disagree? What do you say to that? I think that they don't find great running backs. I think good running backs can be interchangeable, but great ones, you know, you go find Adrian Peterson and say, yeah, I can take or leave him. You're wrong. <laughs> you know, you know, you put a great running back with a great seed. And, and, you know, and even for me, Mike Holmgren was my coach, Brett Favre, Super Bowls, you know, you had uh, Steve Young when he's there. Then he comes to Seattle and he gets me and he's like, um, we're going to change our offense. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you go from Joe Montana, Steve Young, Brett Favre, and then he gets me and he says, I'm going to change my offense. That's not because I was interchangeable. It was because there was a great, there was a great talent that I had that he was like, this talent can take me to the Super Bowl. And that's where we went. That's a great word. You've achieved, you, you have achieved incredible success and you've not tanked your life. I'm looking into, I'm looking in the eyes of a guy who's got his stuff together right now, right? This wasn't, uh, I didn't have so many people faith. I use a different S word right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got your stuff together. You haven't tanked your life. How? You know what? I believe in stewardship. You know, I believe that I'm here to pass on a legacy to my kids and to the people that that I'm supposed to mentor, and I, and and I believe that if I if I'm stewarding well, then I'll be able to pass on something to them. When you play Madden, do you play as yourself? <laughs> I don't really play video games, but I definitely did when I was younger, and uh, and I would always was myself. As a matter of fact, if somebody was playing, I would make them play and pick me as their team. So. <laughs> Hey brother, is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? This has been this has been deep and rich. Anything you're going, oh man, we should have talked about this. Your call. You know what? No, not really. I just think that uh I've been talking um to some of the guys I did mentor, some of my good friends, and I I just say this, there is just great value in having good friends, you know, and, and I I would share this that there's four characteristics that you want in and at least a friend, if he has all four of them, or if you need four different friends. And I would say it's these four things because I've had friends divorce, friends lose their self, lose their mind, throw everything away for nothing. And uh, and I would say it's these four things. Have a friendship that has it's vulnerable. 
as words we say, um, naked and unashamed. You know what I mean? Like they just know you. Um, have one that's challenging. In other words, they can look at any part of your life and say, why are you doing this? You need to stop. Have one that is inspirational, inspiring. Um, you could just watch them without them even say anything and say, you know what? I, I should do that better. And then have one that's, that I call a daily walker, one that's just walking with you, doing life with you. You know, have a person that, that can just, that you're consistent with where they can actually say, man, I know your goals. You don't want to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or why are you doing this? This is what you really want to be. So if you got a vulnerable, challenging, inspiring, and and daily walking friend, or at least have four guys that can hold those positions, you're going to find success. You're going to find yourself where you want to be. That's good. So not all your friends have all those four things, but you got all four of those bases covered. I do. That's great. <laughs> There's a line I just heard recently. I guess it went viral on Twitter. I had, I had missed it. That uh, the greatest miracle of Jesus is that he had 12 good friends in his 30s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey. Well, I mean, it, it is critical. I mean, I, I say all the time that the most important spiritual discipline of any man is to develop great friendships. It's, it's, I, I'm pro reading the Bible. I'm pro praying. I do it yeah. every day. Yes, yes, yes. But I'll tell you what, I've seen a lot of people who pray and, and read the Bible who tank their life. I've not seen anyone tank their life who has genuine, deep, abiding male friendships. I haven't seen it. Yeah. People don't really know each other. Everybody's playing the, the, I got it all together. I got my ish together and knowing that they don't. I'm like, get your ish together, get some friends, you know? That's right, that's exactly right. Sean, yeah. if someone wants to follow up with you or your foundations or anything, is there any way they can go or any place they can go? Yeah, you, know, you can go website, seanalexander.com, uh, Instagram, Twitter, at Sean Alexander. Um, those are the easiest ways to get me. Um, and, you know, go from there. And you, you can always, I've got people everywhere that are looking. So if you, if you say you want to, have a conversation or you want to be a part of something, then you can find me. I'm I'm sitting on some really cool projects right now that are going to be awesome that I can't even tell you about, Ooh. but they're, but they're going to be really cool. This has been a great time, brother. I'd, lo- I'd love to love to keep up with you in some way, shape or form. I'm glad that uh, Tequila got, got us set up together and uh, you, uh, this has been really strong. Excellent, man. Have a good one, man. All right. You too. See you, Sean. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band judges for the music. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.